about the team. What a brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Thursday because of the playoffs, making his weekly Monday appearance on a Thursday, managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron, and what follows as he does. And uh, each one of his appearances on the program, Dave Cameron endeavors to analyze all baseball. Of particular note this week, I asked Dave Cameron to examine a number of situations which require judgment calls of some sort, nor will any of them uh, likely be foreign to those listeners We've been consuming postseason baseball. Of course, we recorded this the day after the Blue Jays' clinching victory at home against the Rangers, which game included a 53-minute seventh inning, presented a number of new <laughs> new scenarios, it would be fair to say. I asked Cameron, one, play in which Russell Martin throwing the ball back to pitcher Aaron Sanchez uh, and accidentally hitting the bat of batter Shinsu Chu. What does one make of uh, how the call was handled at the time and also how it ought to be addressed uh, by the league in the future. That's situation number one. Situation number two, Jose Batista and his majestic bat flip. Cameron wrote a piece uh, exploring the lines between emotion and sportsmanship for the site on Thursday. We consider that in further depth in what follows. Uh, situation number three, Terrence Gore stealing third base against the Houston Astros. He left the bag for one split second, a fraction of a second, and yet was called out by way of instant replay. Does not appear to be in the spirit of the game. How does Cameron think we ought to address that? And number four, also in the issue of sliding, of course, we, we reconsider the Chase Utley play in which he's broken Ruben Tejada's leg. What's the appropriate way uh, for the league to deal with this, this sort of thing? Doesn't it happen again? Or uh, should they at all? Much of what follows is dedicated to those four scenarios. It is also accompanied by startling admissions by Cameron himself. Sorry, people, that I don't know how to predict the future. A conversation to follow. Uh, briefly, allow me to tell you uh, about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Draft, the Draft app. Are you familiar with FanDuel or DraftKings? Draft is not entirely dissimilar except for the fact uh, that it is the first of these daily fantasy sports games designed for mobile devices exclusively. Here's how you play. Uh, all you do is find an opponent, whether it is a friend or an internet stranger who already belongs to the draft universe. You each select five players by way of a snake draft. Those players accrue fantasy points and one of you wins. Are you very confident about your ability to do such a thing? Well, that is convenient because you're allowed to wager American currency on these games. Nor is it merely for baseball, but also for NFL football and college football, the NHL, the NBA, and probably uh, some sports that haven't even been invented yet, is how cutting edge this app is. Are you? Is your interest peaked now? I assume it's peaked. Please then consider uh, going either to the App Store if you have an iOS device or uh, also to something like Google Play. If you have an Android device, you could download the app there and then you could begin playing post-haste. All right, that is a word from the sponsor draft. Uh, I've already told you that Dave Cameron is the guest. Let's move forward. Then this is Fangraphs Audio. It does feature Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. You're supposed to be able to fight off that strain, but I could be wrong. Like right. maybe it just you know weakens it or something. Okay, let's talk about uh, the playoffs. I want to say something. Oh, you were recording. Yes. Yeah. Go on the podcast. <laughs> well, we'll see. Okay. The <clears throat> maybe it'll be a um, director's cut sort of situation. <laughs> the um the, the okay um, you and I are both uh, we both use social media platform Twitter. We do. Yeah. And uh, I think that that is representative of a, a certain, if, if not a certain segment of the population, at least a certain 
segment of the way that that segment of the population behaves because these people are they're not always they don't not act the same exact way um when they're talking with their bosses or spouses yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I do not think Twitter is a representation of how people act in day-to-day life. It is a uh, platform which gives people liberty. It's kind of like uh, getting drunk, right? Like people uh, <laughs> just do whatever they want whenever they feel like uh, you know inebriated and they feel no restrictions. Twitter yeah. is the same way. It's like uh, people acting drunk and then typing. Yeah, so um, – and I don't necessarily have any, have any comments about uh, people's conduct um, – but I would like to say that uh, sometimes uh, folks on Twitter, when they're using that social media platform, they have a uh, they have a tendency to utilize hi- uh, hi- hyperbole. Hyperbole, yeah. Hyperbole. Was that like uh, multiple levels of hyperbole? Like it was high, 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 hyperbole? high, 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 hyperbole. Yeah. yeah. There's some new research going on that reveals newer levels of hyperbole we've never before seen. If you and want yet, to sell something, is that low hyperbole? You, there could be work to be done in that field as well. Yeah, right. The point is um, that as one who was watching the game yesterday, I felt uh, – this is, of course, the uh, the Blue Jays game, the Blue Jays-Rangers game I'm discussing. Yeah, you really do uh, have a sense that even hyperbole was not sufficient to uh, to characterize uh, what we saw there. That seventh inning was bananas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I would, I would like – if there was a way um, – Instead of you and I having a conversation, if we somehow uh, we could just have a uh, a documentation of you know a, a select group's emotions during that time, if there's some way to broadcast emotions and then oh, replay it, see, you basically just want this podcast to be us like sending emojis to each other. No, no, that's not what I want. No, no, I never, I never want that. Um, but um, I guess there, there's a lot to unpack about it, and. Um, one could one could dwell on it for some time, and perhaps we will. I guess, I guess what? So <clears throat> um, the playoffs uh, obviously feature um, greater greater stakes than than regular season games. The elimination games uh, in those playoffs feature higher stakes than other playoff games, and and then if you add to that a combination of things that you've never seen before, and I think that was probably was it, was that was most notable about it is that it. It featured a number of scenarios that w- had never even been possible before. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, right, you had uh, a weird scenario that played out with just a series of really bizarre and unlikely events. Right. Um, I don't know I don't know how much possible it is to analyze it, but let's, uh, with regard to the throwback, the throwback from Russell Martin that did not get to uh, did not get to was it uh, Sanchez at that point? Yeah. Um, you you I th- I think I saw you mention uh, via Twitter that uh, something of this game or series is introducing us to the rule book. I was actually shocked to learn that there is a rule that covers that exact thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things, right? Is like we're not actually sure that the 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 clarification that MLB put out isn't actually what the rulebook says. So the MLB was like, here's the rule, and then if you actually look at the rulebook, it, it says something like more vague. So they expanded on the rule a little bit in clarifying it, but it does seem like there is a rule in the book that says as long as the batter is not intentionally trying to interfere with the throw back to the mound, uh, the ball is live. And so, right, there is a rule kind of for this uh, idea but I, I think, as you know, Saris wrote uh, in his piece about the play, uh, 
until this year, this was never a problem because as soon as the pitch happened, baseball players walked out of the batter's box, right? Like they would walk around, they'd adjust themselves, they did whatever, and they were never in the line of fire between the catcher and the plate. But now Major League Baseball changed a rule last year that said, you know, they have to stay in the box. And so, uh, you know, Shin Su Chu was essentially mandated by Major League Baseball (laughs) to be close enough to Russell Martin for this bizarre thing to happen, which clearly not the intention of the rule like even i mean i think people who are like well it's in the rule book this is not what the rule intended right like if you look at the spirit of the rule no one has ever thought like yeah uh we should give the batter some chance to deflect the ball as the catcher is throwing it back to the mound like that's just not part of the sport yeah how how well, i i noticed a number of people asking this what percentage of, of base runners do you think um, in in Odor uh, Rognet Odor is one of them. What percentage of base runners actually score on that play? Probably not a lot. I, mean, I think you're probably only looking at guys who are uh, fast enough to consider trying to score on a pass ball. I mean, I think like were, Odor was already kind of down the line. I think if you had like Pittsfielder or something like that on third base, he'd just be, he'd be like attached to the bag. <laughs> you know, the last thing he would want to do is get picked off or something. And he's you know only going to score on a base hit or, you know, a really deep sacrifice fly. So he wouldn't even be attempting to kind of, like, look for an opportunity for the ball to get away. Um, so you you need a guy like Odor or Delano de Shields or one of those guys who's, uh, you know, paying attention, keeping an eye on where the ball is, is looking for an opportunity to break home if given it. Uh, and I think a lot of guys in baseball uh, in that position, you know, representing the go-ahead run, the la- they just wouldn't want to make an out. Right, yeah. But he did. He did go home. And uh, how? Uh, I don't know if I forget if you addressed it. How? What were your thoughts on the um, the home plate umpire calling the ball dead or not? You know, I think it's such an obscure play uh, that I don't think we can expect the umpire to know the rule immediately, offhand, instantaneously. Like it does seem like Dale Scott uh, said in his postgame comments that after he had, you know, kind of waved his hands, he went, "Wait a minute, no, never mind." I'm not supposed to do that, and he did recall the rule, and that's why he went and conferred with the umpires, and that's why they awarded Odor home plate. Um, but I don't think like it's I don't think it's reasonable to expect Scott to have that rule down pat and memorized, even as a major league umpire. There's so many obscure rules, and like what you know, like no one's seen this happen really, in, you know, in baseball before. Um, so I, you know, I think uh, Scott's reaction was natural and normal, and you know, just kind of like a what's going on. Uh, and then he corrected himself, and I think, you know, a lot of people put up the, you know, kind of, oh, well, the play was called dead, so therefore nothing that happens after that matters. That's not in the Major League Baseball rule. That's a football rule. I think a lot of football fans were kind of applying uh, the NFL's rules to Major League Baseball and saying, like, oh, as soon as Scott puts hands in the air, uh, everything after that was dead. That's, that's just not that, – that isn't how baseball works. So what should – what do you think – how do you think the rule should read? Is it like the sort of uh, revised one that MLB sent out? Uh, well, I mean, I think if I was creating the rule from scratch, I would say that the catcher has the right to the lane to throw the ball back to the, the mound. So as long as, like, the ball is going from the catcher to the pitcher uh, in the direction of the mound, uh, anything that the batter does that interferes with that throw back to the mound, uh, you know, the ball is then dead and runners aren't allowed to advance. Like, yeah, I think, you know, we do have to allow for the fact that the catcher can just make a bad throw and if the batter is standing in the batter's box, which now he has to do, and the catcher somehow like wings it into his back or something, uh-huh. uh, which is just a throwing error, like then the the offensive team should be allowed to take advantage of the defensive mistake. But Russell Martin didn't make a mistake. He was sitting behind the plate and he threw the ball back to the mound, and Shinsu Chu's bat was in the way. Uh, so I think you know I would redo the rule so that you know we weren't allowing 
batters to come up with a kind of elaborate post-pitch uh, stances where catchers had to, uh, you know, kind of avoid a, a, an object that was placed in their in their way of throwing the ball back to the mound. Yeah, right. And then I guess uh, you get into a difficult area where you begin considering intent, right? I mean, that's always going to exist, I suppose. I don't think you necessarily, like, I think if you define it kind of as like in a narrow space, you don't have to worry about intent. So if you just say like, from, like, basically just draw a, a, a tube from the plate back to the mound, it's a straight line, uh, and you can say, is the ball is thrown in this direction, which we have replay for, we can see where the ball was going, uh, then, you know, the, the, any obstruction in that area, um, is, uh, a result of a dead ball, where if you throw the ball kind of out of that area where it goes like towards third base or towards first base, if you're trying to pick off a runner, maybe like you're throwing behind a runner at first base and Shin Su Chu uh, is standing there and you happen to like beat him in the side, uh, you know, the guy on first base should be able to get up and run. So I think defining it as only throws back to the mound, which is a normal part of baseball that the catcher has to do in order for play to proceed, uh, they should be allowed to do that versus, you know, them running a pick play on a, on a base runner. Uh, I don't think we necessarily want to give them free range to just do that without risk and saying, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to just wing the ball into uh, into right field and then say, oh, well, the batter got in my way. What if the uh, what if the batter, what if the catcher doesn't particularly care for whoever's batting at the moment, and he's also noticed that that batter has a tendency to lean over the plate at some point, and then he would take advantage of the rule to uh, throw it into him right at his uh, head? Well, I think... Uh, you, you guys say it's unlikely, David, because it's all unlikely. I mean, I think if if the batter is stupid enough to put his head in between the catcher and the pitcher, <laughs> uh, he kind of deserves to get brained. Like, you know, I think we can establish some kind of lane from the plate to the mound and be like, this is the ball has the right of way and not the batter. And if the batter wants to go stand in the corner of the box, he's not going to get hit with a throw. Okay. And like, really, I mean, like, Chu wouldn't have gotten hit with a throw if he wasn't stretching his bat out and adjusting his gloves, right? Like, that's, I mean, you know, Chu had batted a whole bunch of times earlier in the game. Uh, he had never been hit with a pitch before. Uh, he just happened on this one to stick his bat out with an extended arm and kind of put it in, in the middle of the plate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of judgment calls, here's another, this is another sort of judgment call. We've, we've discussed here a judgment call with regard to a pretty obscure rule. Um, there is also the judgment call, which I suppose might be uh, more of a question of, uh, of uh, you, you described it as sportsmanship in a post for the site today. It might be also one of fair play or if uh, maybe the broader category of ethics, something along these lines. Uh, this is, of course, Jose Bautista's um, dramatic, and uh, although it does seem to be spontaneous celebration uh, regarding his home run. Um, it, you have suggested that, um, as it was suggested to you when you were a younger player, uh, that you should uh, that there's a time and a place for everything, and uh, this was the time and the place to uh, to do what Batista did, at least for Batista. Yeah, I mean, I think in it, from my perspective, it's important to differentiate like showmanship or uh, you know bad sportsmanship or you know showing up an opponent from celebrating your own accomplishments right so like in every sport i think we've seen that it's generally acceptably okay to celebrate a game winning play so like you know michael jordan 
you know, hits the shot where he shoved Byron Russell 35 feet away from him before he hit the jumper to beat the Jazz, and then he, like, you know, celebrates like a madman, and that becomes, like, one of the staples of the Gatorade highlights for the next 20 years. Everyone's like, man, what, you know, he won the championship for his team. This is totally okay. Or, you know, like, the, um, in the NFL, you score a touchdown, and everyone jumps around you, and, like, these, this, you did something cool. And I think, uh, you know, celebration should be allowed, uh, in a different way than, I mean, I do think there is something to the idea of you don't want to show up you know, the opponents. There's like a, it's a courtesy, right, of like saying, hey, I recognize that as I'm celebrating, my celebration comes at the hands of someone else's turmoil, and I don't want to, you know, rub it in their face. I'm not trying to make this confrontational. Like, if Jose Batista would have grabbed his nuts as he went down the bag and <laughs> thrown the bat at Sam Dyson, that's Wait, just okay. to clarify, who's, who's nuts, Batista's, or if he had actually grabbed Dyson's nuts? Uh, I think any nut grabbing would have not been okay. <laughs> I think, uh, Ian, I know there were cups, but it's just off limits. So, uh, you know, I think even, like, gesticulating at the opponents, like, if he would have, like, turned and pointed at the Rangers' dugout, that's not cool. I think, like, when you personalize it, uh, and say, you know, I just did this to you. Right. That's that's not cool, and that's unsportsmanlike, and shouldn't be uh, encouraged. And we certainly, um, I don't, I don't think we want to be celebrating that kind of behavior. What Jose Batista did was hit a monstrous home run that basically advanced his team to the American League Championship Series. And as 55,000 people exploded around him, he figured out some way to join in the celebration, and and that's okay, and should be celebrated, and should be. Um, you know, expected. Like, he's a human being who had a human reaction right. in a super passionate moment. A, ca- uh, a cathartic moment, you might say. Yeah, um, I would imagine that he probably felt a lot of pressure going out. I mean, you can say, like, these are professional athletes who've been in pressure situations their whole lives, but I can't imagine that he's ever been under that kind of pressure before, and he succeeded to, the, you know, I mean, he hit the ball 500 million feet, right? <laughs> like, he, he crushed that baseball. Uh, so for him to kind of withstand the pressure and succeed had to be a, you know, really thrilling accomplishment. If it, you know, if I climb Mount Everest, I'm gonna like pump my fist and be like, yeah. wait, I did it, you know, like, uh, I don't know why celebrating in that moment, uh, is seen as something unnatural. You think, it, and one of the distinctions I think I hear you making is to say, um, is it, is it something in which you're participating with your team and your, and whichever fans are there? Um, or is it, uh, or is it something else that uh, where you're attempting to, essentially, uh, you're attempting to, uh, you're attempting to insult your your opponent, basically. This seems. To yeah, be right. I think if you're participating in a communal event, uh, you know, where the crowd is going bananas and you know, like everyone acknowledges that this is a huge moment, uh, that's you know, do whatever comes natural to you at that point, other than like you know. Uh, taunting the opponents. But if you're like Chad Johnson and you want to like run out to the 50 yard line to make sure you get on Sports Center and like spike the ball on the other team's logo, yeah. uh, you Terrell, know, I think maybe Terrell Owens. Okay. Similar, well, similar right. So, right. Uh, you know, I think at that point, what you're clearly trying to do is draw attention to yourself and kind of humiliate your opponent. And that's not cool. And I, you know, I'm not in favor of uh, taunting, essentially. And, you know, I think, like, maybe there are kind of fun, like, Dikembe Mutombo, you know, when I was growing up, was, uh, you know, a pretty good basketball player, and wagged his finger at everybody after every block shot. And it was, like, very clearly taunting. Um, but it was also pretty cool. It was, uh, it was kind of fun. And, like, he did it in, like, a nice, nice way, right? Like, it wasn't, like, mean-spirited. Um, and so I think, like, you know, the, there is some, like, kind of gray area where sometimes taunting, I guess, can be a little bit okay. But, you know, I think, 
in general, we want to discourage taunting, but I don't well, think it has to. Uh, you get the sense uh, because this is, I mean, this is something that's pretty well documented: uh, the relationship between Felix Hernandez and Adrian Beltre. Um, and this might, you know, uh, be, be a similar thing to the other degrees. They they appear to be very good friends. Yeah, they are. And, and uh, they they are constantly uh, talking and chattering during out the during the course of a game. Yeah, and I think you know they're clearly smiling and joking around, and you know uh, I think that's a kind of an all in good fun taunting that I don't right. think anyone takes too seriously. Right. Uh, you know, if Batista would have like launched his bat while he stared down Dyson, I think even that's like a you know if he would have been looking at Dyson as he rounded the bases, like you know I think it changes because he's then involving the teammate and making it an I beat you kind of thing, mm-hmm. and I you know I'm not in favor of I beat you kind of um, you know. Right, Pot. because you're going to lose eventually too. That's that's the sort of uh, that's that's the sour note, or that does not seem to be um, understood at the moment, right? Like, yeah, you you hit a home run off a guy, you did this, and then perhaps you taunt him. But at the same time, like he's go- you're going to get out again, you know. Uh, and so it doesn't necessarily seem to be it's that it's not a permanent it's not a permanent state. You having you having defeated your opponent your opponent here in this one isolated instant. Yeah, I mean, so I think that's even like a little bit of a selfish reason, right? Is like you should be humble so that someone else doesn't do it to you the next time you fail. But I think just from like a human compassion perspective of like as good as Jose Batista felt, I'm sure Jose Bat- uh, Sam Dyson felt that bad, right? No, no, like, no, no, but I, no, I'm not saying it for a selfish reason. I'm saying just because it's a reality that you're going to fail eventually. Not worrying about re- receiving taunting back, but just knowing, being very aware that right. life is, is defined by failure more than it is success. Sure, and yeah. I think that's kind of like a self-awareness that uh, self-confident athletes generally don't have, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> like, like they think they're going to succeed every time and they get mad when they don't. Uh, so I think from my perspective, it's more about recognizing that the person you just beat is a human being with a family who's going to go home and be really sad at night and say, mm-hmm. I don't want to make their situation worse. And I think that's kind of the context that sportsmanship was taught to me in and, and the value I take from it is like, this is a thing worth honoring. But it gets turned into something else in Major League Baseball where like kind of the fun police say, you know, no one should ever have a good time uh, in front. You know, like the crowd can go as wild as they want. Like the accountant who paid, you know, $3,000 for a front row ticket who had absolutely nothing to do with the event, he can spill beer on the people next to him and like do whatever he wants and act like a fool and that's cool. But the guy who actually did the thing, he doesn't get to celebrate at all. He just has to pretend that it doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> you know, that's illogical. Um, you, you did notice, I don't know... Uh, I, I don't know if it was your image or if you borrowed it from someone else. Uh, in attempting to document uh, the public's, or you know, part of the public's reaction, um, someone, and it might have been you, uh, uh, performed a Twitter search for uh, Batista and douche. That was me. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> you did yeah. not express it. Uh, you didn't state it expressly in the no. piece, but that was uh, that was good. Was had you try any other words at the same time, or did you feel comfortable with douche? I didn't because there were so many results for Batista Douche that I didn't need to search for anything else. I was like, oh, here's all the examples I need. And like, actually, so I tweeted out last night kind of in support of uh, Jose Batista after I saw Dyson's comments and just said, like, you know, I think Batista was an example to children in that baseball can be fun and exciting and passionate and this is a sport they should enjoy. And it's the most tweeted, retweeted thing. I mean, it's like a thousand retweets or something because Brandon McCarthy and a lot of these other major league players kind of responded to it. So, you know, like my mentions uh, on Twitter were uh, amazing last night because I had all these people who follow McCarthy and, you know, these famous people responding yeah, to actual me. famous people. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. I, so I saw all of the, you know, super racist, ignorant uh, comments of people being like that, lousy, whatever, 
Uh, and, you know, what I found really fun was the juxtaposition of them claiming that he was classless at the same time that they were making, like, super racist comments about him and telling him he was a douchebag or, yeah. you know, what, needed to go back to his home or, you know, like, saying really unclassy things in accusing him of not having class. Well, um, you, you pointed out in your post, uh, but there is there is uh, certainly some cultural relativism present um, in these sorts of things, or not being exercised, I should say. Um, yeah. You you linked to a piece by Jorge Ortiz uh, from <laughs> USA Today uh, earlier. I think it was the beginning of October, and um, he, I think he observed right that uh, in many of these cases there were there were people from uh, from different places who probably had different notions about um, what was and what was not within the the realm of the acceptable in terms of conduct. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the tricky parts of this is that, you know, we, last night was another example of this, right? Like Sam Dyson is a kid from the South, went to school in South Carolina, uh, you know, he's white, and he had a problem with Jose Batista, who is, uh, you know, a Latino, and, uh, um, you know, this was another example of a white guy lecturing a person who didn't grow up in our culture on our culturally accepted norm of behavior. And I think what we've seen, and you know, like even in the piece, you see like a guy like Chris Jimenez, uh, who plays for the Rangers now, uh, talking about when he played winter ball and he, you know, went to the Caribbean and saw how they played and saw it was like eye-opening. Like this is how they interact with each other and how they interact with their fans and how they interact in life. Like this is just part of their culture is to be much more, um, ostentatious and demonstrative, maybe. Yeah, demonstrative, right? Yeah. Like to just, you know, they don't contain their feelings in the same way that we do in America. And it's <laughs> not that one is right or wrong necessarily; it's just a cultural norm. And so, um, you know, it's it's problematic when people who aren't, you know, don't grow up here, uh, come here, are living their life, you know, working the best they can, working as hard as they can, and then have to get lectured by people from another culture on the fact that their culture is not accepted here and you know like i think there's some aspects of it to like if you travel to another country you kind of have to fit into their culture like you, you know i do think there are um there's just a, you know a reality of the fact that you know they are in america but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be absorbed into what we think is right and wrong they should still get to keep their own humanity and what they were raised in uh even if they're not living in their home country anymore the um it's, it's interesting you mentioned it because during his um, his on the field post game um, post game conversation, I believe uh, the, the question was was it from uh, Morosi? Uh, uh, Rosenthal, I think. Rosenthal. Yeah. All right. Uh, it was from Rosenthal. I think he was asked. I think it was Batista who was asked, "Have you seen anything like this?" And I believe Batista's. Uh, well, he actually. I think he said not in the U.S., which is funny because he was in Canada. But I think what he meant was not in North America. Right. Um, and. Which I was thinking, like, well, oh, yeah, that's of course, because uh, I know from talking with um, Craig Robinson and uh, Eric Nussbaum, they did, a, they did a cool piece when they went to the uh, Caribbean series in, in Mexico, I think the Sonora area of Mexico. I could also be wrong about the Sonora area. It was in Mexico, though. And, uh, you know, they documented their trip there. And, like, as you say, it's just a different way of experiencing the game and, um, and of uh, spectating the game. Yeah, I mean, I, t talking to friends of mine who have gone, you know, to games in the Caribbean and, you know, overseas, even in Korea and Japan, like, it is not at all the the atmosphere and the the crowd that you see in, in, in Major League Baseball. And I don't even know that we can say it's better, right? Like, look at every other sport in the world. Like, look at soccer chants and, like, kind of the, you know, we don't necessarily want the, you know, killing the opponent or killing the guy on your team if he costs you the game part of soccer fandom. But, like, I think the, you know, painting your faces and learning, memorizing intricate songs and like, uh, you know, their passion makes their sport more interesting. And, uh, I don't know that we want to say like, Hey, 
we have figured out fandom and we have figured out how players and fans should interact. So when you come here with your culture, you need to give that up in order for our, because ours is better. Like, uh, it's different and it's fine if Sam Dyson, uh, wants to adhere to the cultural norms he was raised with. He doesn't have to become demonstrative. No one's telling him that, but I don't know that he should be, uh, you know, I guess, you know, I have some compassion for Dyson too, because, you know, he's obviously frustrated that he lost and I don't want to hold his comments against him. But just in general, I think it'd be nice if like white players would stop lecturing minorities on how they should act. Right. Okay. Um, there were a couple of uh, other, uh, can I ask you some more questions about rules? Sure. I know it's not very exciting, but I think it does. Yeah, this is where all the podcast listeners No, well, I don't know if it is exciting or it's not, but, but, um, who was it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Matthew Corey wrote this piece the other day with regard to Terrence Gore sliding into uh, third base. Yeah. Against the, I guess, against, I guess, against the, the Blue Jays. No. Uh, no, against the Astros. Against the Astros, naturally, yeah. because that's who they were playing. Yeah, yeah, Why right. would he do that? Yeah. He's not if he was Rangers. sliding into third base against the Blue Jays, then we need a new rule. He's, a, he's on the wrong, <laughs> he's at the wrong game. Yeah. <laughs> um, Terrence Gore basically had third base sto- stolen. Um, and uh, the third baseman uh, uh, continued to apply Luis the tag. Valbuena. Luis Valbuena, maybe? Yeah, it was Luis Valbuena. Luis yeah. Valbuena. Yeah, he, he kept the tag applied. It's not even uh, – and, and I should say Gore's foot came off for – I don't know. I've, I didn't time it precisely, but less than a second, definitely. Fractions of a second. Fractions of a second. And it's possible that Valbuena did not even really have the glove – it was yeah. his wrist or something. I don't think I would agree with you when you said he kept the tag applied. There was a tag, and then Gore's foot kind of bounced off the base because he was running really fast, and the base is, you know, a solid object that doesn't move, and <laughs> right. so it's hard to, like, stop immediately on it. Uh, and at one point when Gore's foot was off the base, the back of Valbuena's wrist, which holds his glove, which holds the ball, uh-huh. made contact with Gore's leg. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I guess the question that I was like, what part of your body has to be touching in order for it to be a tag? Like, could you do it with your finger of your opposite hand? Could you do it with your head? Like, I mean, you know, if we're going to say, like, the wrist is now a tag, mm-hmm. uh, can you just, like, shoulder block the guy? Does that count? No, I, mean, I believe I, it has to be because uh, I took to the rules rule book after this. And in their, de- uh, their like, definition of terms, tag, this is in the most recent Major League rule book, a tag is – you apply it. It's it's it has to be the hand that has the ball in it, right? So okay, you can the hand, right? So I guess the back of the wrist is part of the hand. I guess is it begloved? Is it begloved? I mean, you could wear a glove then. You could just wear a whole arm length of a glove. <laughs> yeah, just have some like ten foot long glove. Yeah, it's like the sleeve that goes all the way up to your shoulder. Yeah, maybe with some sort of extension so you could reach across the diamond. Right. Yeah, no, right. I mean, I think. Uh... I had a lot of problems with that play uh, in terms of Gore being called out because this is another one of those maybe the letter of the law and the spirit of the law not being the same thing. Like, I'm of the opinion that Terrence Gore beat that throw. Uh, He was safe. Yes, his foot momentarily came off the base because the object that we give them to slide into doesn't move and doesn't kind of, uh, you know, bounce back when they come running really hard and slide aggressively into a base in order to try and be safe. Um... but I don't know that we want to be using replay to like find out if a guy who was safe was like momentarily out for a fraction of a second. Right. Well, and of course, before replay, this was rarely an issue, right? I mean, no. maybe if it was no a, way he would have been called out without replay. Right. If it, it was, were if it were egregious, like you could think of as examples where a player has slid into third and then absentmindedly like adjusted his stirrups or something. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, players have made mistakes over sliding the base. That's totally different, right? Like, Terrence Gore didn't make a mistake. He just, like, fell victim to the rules of physics. 
And also the fact, right, yes, because the, 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 it turns out the base, especially if you're going to third, the base is, a, is hard to slide over while still maintaining contact. It's a, especially at the speed one is going. It's a, it requires a lot of things to occur simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, I think if we enforce this, and can, if Major League Baseball continues to enforce this and says, like, if at any moment your foot comes off the bag and the, the fielder is continuing to apply pressure on you and maybe even pushing on you, which is hard to see on replay, uh, it's going to open up the door for guys to say, you know what, going feet first isn't, a good idea anymore because I have a chance of being called out because my foot is much harder to maintain contact with than my hand, where if I reach it with my fingers, I can basically grab the base and kind of hold on to the side of it as I slide by. But now you're, like, encouraging headfirst dives, which is where guys get concussions from getting hit, thrown in the ball, gets away and hits them on the side of the face, or they get kneed in the face, or they get spiked in the... I mean, I think headfirst dives are more risky. And if we're talking about player safety and kind of like the chase out lead play at second base... We probably don't want to be encouraging uh, head-first slides because players think that if they slide feet-first, even when they're clearly safe, they might be called out because their foot couldn't maintain uh, contact with the bag 100% of the time. Is this perhaps similar to uh, with the beginning of last year, which also represented the beginning of, of replay in baseball, uh, the instance of the what defined a catch? Yeah, I think this is kind of similar. I mean, that was the the worst in, in aspect of like you know uh, Major League Baseball changing the rules on on what a catch was. Uh, but I think you know this was the same letter of the law, spirit of the law thing, right? Like, uh, you know, we kind of all knew that those were catches, even if they couldn't get the ball out of their glove in time or whatever. Uh, and we kind of all, I think, intuitively know that if you beat the throw and your foot hits the base and you're uh, you're there before the ball gets there, you're safe. You stole that base. And I don't think anyone has ever thought that, like, the point of stealing a base or the, how you should judge someone who has stolen a base is whether they can maintain contact, like, every inch of contact at all times as they're coming to a stop. Like, it's one thing if you overrun the base or overslide the base uh, or just make a mistake, but just because physics pushed you off the bag for a tenth of a second, that's silly. Right. And, of course, uh, this also became an issue. Uh, I, I, a... Another base running situation became an issue in the the Mets Dodgers series when Chase Utley, um, perhaps with different intentions than Terrence Gore had in his own game, uh, did not uh, did not initiate his slide until he was roughly even with the base for the purposes of uh, disrupting, which is a euphemistic term probably disrupting <laughs> um, Ruben Tejada, and but of course he's not the first he's not the first to do this, but it, right. uh, but uh, we also saw. Um, um, Kung, Kung, the uh, the Young shortstop, the Kong, yeah. yeah, Kung, the uh, from uh, Pittsburgh recently, uh, uh, we saw him injured by a similar play, and then of course this happened uh, not too long after it. Uh, so it it seems as though do do you do you anticipate these sorts of rules being reviewed in the off season? So I think the takeout slide at second base is absolutely going to go away. I mean, I don't. I would be shocked if they didn't uh, do something about that, just because I think uh, you know. We have two prominent injuries, uh, you know, this one on the national stage in the postseason. MLB has been very concerned about player safety. I don't know how you can justify taking away the home plate collision and not taking away the second base collision. Like, if you're going to take away one, you got to take away both, I think. So I think the second base takeout slide is going to go away in some fashion. Um, the one on the third base replay, I don't, I don't know. I think that's going to be a little bit trickier because um, I don't think that there's this clear consensus agreement on – uh, you know, what the call should be in that case. I think people have differing opinions and, um, it's not resulting in injury yet. Like maybe if, you know, 
we keep this rule for a while and some prominent base dealer is like diving into the base and we see this huge uptick in diving injuries, maybe then they'll change it. But I think that one's going to probably take a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know. It doesn't, I guess it doesn't, well, it doesn't affect me. Maybe it affects my enjoyment of the game. I represent the fans. Do we, do we, all of them? This? You're like, you're the representative? No, I don't think so. Fans? I don't think so, but. Uh, I, right, that's the point is, yeah, I guess I don't, I guess it's, I find it irksome to some degree to, um, to watch a game where that, where, uh, where there's incentives, uh, there are incentives to injure other people. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, you know, uh, J- Jeff said it in his piece after the LA thing, it was like, baseball's not a contact sport. This is, this become the, the, Easiest way, I think, to narrow this down is like, there's in obstruction rules on the books, there's interference rules on the books. You know, you're not allowed to interfere with the fielders doing their job at any other spot. Like, you know, I think even in, like, the Terrence Gore example, if he had just like plowed into Luis Valbuena, he would have been thrown out of the game. Like, he can't just run him over, uh, and we wouldn't have been okay with that. But we're okay with him doing it at second base on double plays only. Like, it's just this weird part of baseball that has become a culturally acceptable uh, within the game, in order to like you know turn yourself into a defender, like you stop being a base runner for a little bit, and you say because this will help my team win, I'm going to give up my own body, and it's seen as kind of like a, a heroic thing to do, or you're putting yourself at risk in order to try and stop a double play from being turned. But you know, like uh, if you're a batter and you had to sacrifice fly, it will also help your team uh, if you sacrifice yourself uh, and just like tackle the catcher. And give yourself no chance to advance uh, if the outfielder drops the ball. You're also sacrificing yourself so that they can't throw the guy out at you know coming home. But you're not allowed to tackle the catcher. You're just it's like not part of the game. Uh, so I think uh, it's weird that we have this one specific part of baseball where it's become acceptable to play defense because defense isn't part of baseball uh, when you're on offense. <laughs> the uh, uh, Dave, uh, you've. Um in terms of time, certainly you have uh, fulfilled your obligation. Uh, there's certainly quite a bit we've omitted here, seeing as we've neglected it all uh, to mention the, the Cubs Cardinals series. Right, and we haven't even mentioned the Astros. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We barely mentioned the the Royals. Yeah, so, so this is a uh, a long podcast in which we said very little. Well, no, no. Well, there's a lot of things that uh, demand inquiry. Yeah. I think a lot, it should be. a lot of stuff happened. Well, uh, would you like to? Uh, um, of course, everything is a is a question of probabilities and these sorts of things. Uh, would you let's see what is the the probability, uh, Dave, David Cameron, for tonight's game uh, between the Mets, uh, who will play at the Dodgers, the yeah. um, Grom pitching at Zach Rinke, fifty seven percent in favor of the Dodgers. Yeah. Does that sound uh, is that precisely what you'd guess? Uh, I might say like 55, 45. I think maybe the Mets are a little bit closer to the Dodgers than our forecast think. But right, I mean like home field is basically 54, 46 historically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you say like, you know, it's 55, 45 or something like that, then you're basically saying these two teams are almost even in the games in LA, which we know. Uh, you know, Granky's good, DeGrom's good. Uh, I might, I might, uh, take the Dodger bullpen over the Mets bullpen, even though I know people don't trust the Dodger bullpen. Kenley Jansen, I think, is better than Jerry's Familia, and I think the, you know, the Dodgers middle guys are actually a little bit underrated. Um, so, you know, I think there's some very slight advantages that go LA's way. Yeah, the, uh, 
Uh, do you anticipate the pitcher staying in the game for a long time, or is this a situation where a quick hook is, makes sense? I think Granky DeGrom, you're not going to see a quick hook. This isn't going to be a bullpen game like you know the other game was with uh, you know John Lackey and and uh, uh, Jason Hamill. This isn't going to be that. I think Granky's going to go six, maybe seven. Uh, I think DeGrom's probably going to go seven. I think both of these teams want to use one setup guy and their closer or no setup guys and their closer. I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of these teams just went starter closer. Great. Well, uh, you know, it's quite a possibility that listeners will have heard this after the game is over mm. uh, so they can judge you accordingly. Okay. Well, sorry, people, that I don't know how to predict the future. Yeah. It's one of your many flaws. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that has been, uh, yeah, thank you, Dave Cameron. That's what we need to say. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that has been Managing Editor of Fangraphs.com. Dave Cameron, I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.